Thanks for listening to The River's Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. We are in a series about Peter, and this morning I am talking about the boat that Peter sat in when Jesus called him out on to the water. Many scholars believe, as I said earlier, that the boat represents the church from the time of Noah until the New Testament. And they teach that the boat is the safe place. It was one of the most expensive things to build during Jesus' time. Wood was rare, and so if you had a boat, not only did you have an opportunity to get some nets to have livelihood, but you had a safe place from the storm and the demons that lived in the Sea of Galilee, as the people of Israel believed, because Greek culture was infusing itself across the lake. And so this boat was your protection, and very early on, Jesus walks by while Peter is fishing, and he says, hey, follow me. I got an online degree, just like Daryl said last week. I got my, my Masters of Divinity online from a school in the Caribbean. Follow me. And Peter leaves his boat and follows Jesus. And then sometime later, we have the exact same question. It's in Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 14, and it starts in verse 25. Matthew writes this, During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Don't ever challenge Jesus, Peter. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. All right, let's talk about this. I have this boat on stage because um, unlike Daryl, who is a full-time veterinarian, I work at this church, so I have time to study the exact specifications of the boat that Peter was in. And this is the exact size of that boat. It is also the exact specifications of Noah's Ark, which shows the miracle of how I'm able to use this boat multiple times in multiple sermons, and how God can shrink animals down really tiny. Have you ever seen the little... uh, the little foam pills you put in the water. I think that's what God did to get him inside this boat. But for some reason, Peter is able to be standing in a boat that is floating in water, see Jesus walking on that water. Everyone else is the boat, in the boat is terrified. And for some reason, he has 
the nerve, confidence, insanity, stupidity, maybe he wasn't paying attention, I don't know, to actually put his foot outside of the boat and find himself standing on H2O. It's not a solid. It's a liquid. We learned this in sixth grade. It will wrap itself around you in order to conform around your body. If you put it in a glass, it fills the glass. If you try to stand on it, you sink. And all of a sudden, we see Peter saying, Hey, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come out on the water. And Jesus says, Come. I'm not sure that's what Peter was expecting. I'm not sure. I think Peter might have been expecting, Oh, Peter, you man of great faith, don't ever step out on water. You can't walk on water. You're not God. But, but Peter hears the word come, and it echoes in his mind, come, follow me. And he understands that Jesus is calling him to something greater. And so he takes this step, and he finds himself doing something that he has never done before. I wonder, I just wonder what it was like the two inches before his foot hit the water. I would have been like this. I was just kind of knee bent. Are you sure, Jesus? I mean, you're going to catch me, or I mean, you're way over there. And then he's walking on the water. Will you guys humor me for a moment? Please say yes, because it's part of my sermon. Okay, you will humor me for a moment. What if Peter didn't get out of the boat? this thing that represents the church since the time of Noah's Ark. This is also the uh, exact specification of chair that was used, these little tiny plastic kitty chairs, because the boats were small back then. What if Peter didn't get out of the boat? Jesus is over there. Hey, guys, I don't think you need to be scared. I think it's Jesus. I mean, we've seen him do miracles before. Yeah. Maybe it is. Like, I, to be honest, Peter, I never believed in ghosts anyways. I just saw this thing over there walking on the water, and I was like, maybe it's, maybe it's Jesus. Let's check. What should I say? I don't know, just, are you Jesus? No, I want it to be good. Like, I want it to drive a point. I want him to know, like, hey, where are your followers? Got it. Jesus, if that is you, call me to come out on the water with you. Come. Oh, boy. All right, guys. We need to talk about this. What night is it? Is it Friday? Is it a Friday? Yeah, oh, good. That's when we normally have our spiritual discussions in the boat anyways. So could we all gather around, everyone? Okay, good. First thing, first item of business, I think that the chairs we use in the boat, they haven't been the most comfortable, 
And I think that's why we're not getting a lot of people to come in our boat. I think if we just make a couple, couple changes, some different chairs, some different scenery, maybe if we got a little bigger boat, more people would want to come. Peter, I think that's a good idea. Um, I think maybe we could even paint the boat a different color. I don't like this blue. I don't think it's attracting people to the boat. And so, you know, honestly, though, let's just keep... Let, let, Jesus is over there. Can we talk about him? Can we talk about what he's saying? Yes, thank you, John. I'm sorry. You really keep me on track well. And I don't want to get off. So, so he, he, here, here's my issue that I want to share with you guys today. So I was sitting in this boat with you, as you guys are all aware, and Jesus is over there. I ask him if it's him to call me out onto the water and he says the word, come. I'm not really sure what he means. I mean, it's one word. He just says, come. What, what does Jesus want me to do? You know, that's a good point. I think if Jesus really wanted you to walk on water, he would probably have said, Peter, I am now going to give you the supernatural ability to walk on water. You're going to fill it in your ankles. You're going to feel a little bit lighter. I'm going to change the chemical makeup of your body. And you're going to be able to step on the water. So just trust me. Take a step on the boat, and you're going to find yourself doing something awesome. Yeah, that's what I thought too. He didn't say that. He just said, come. So I'm not really sure exactly what to do. You know what I think we should do? I think we need to get a deeper context to what is actually happening during this scenario. Now, I'm personally a primary resource because I'm here right now in the boat and Jesus is over there. Oh yeah, dang, sorry, hold on one second. Jesus, can you just wait like five minutes? We're gonna be, it's gonna end. We're, we, we usually don't go more than an hour. We're almost done. We don't, we don't like to keep people too long. We're just going to, we're gonna get through this and then I'll get back, back with you. Just please be patient, thank you. It's a fruit of the spirit, Jesus. Just please be patient with me. Okay, so context. How high are the waves? I think we need to know how high the waves are if we're really going to understand what Jesus meant. And, 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 and I think, like, Jesus is walking on water over there. Are there any fish underneath him? He said he would make us fishers of men. I'm wondering, are there fish underneath Jesus? How high are the waves? Where is the exact location of this boat? And what are these other people doing just listening to this whole conversation? Well, um, I don't, I usually don't talk a lot in small groups. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm James, and uh, I, I like where you guys are going, but uh, I think I... I don't want to be offensive to you in any way, but I think Jesus was, I think he was just saying to get out of the boat and walk to him. I think he was just saying, come. 
I don't know, James. I think you would have made it more clear. Yeah, James, don't be obtuse. Like, it's not, we have to understand what is happening in this story in order to understand how it applies to our lives. Because if we don't understand what is literally actually happening during this time, we're not going to be able to understand it. So if you don't have anything good to say, just please listen. Here's my thought, Peter. Here's my thought for you. Jesus knows you can't walk on water. He is all-knowing. Jesus knows that you can't swim. He created you in your mother's womb, and he knew from that day you would need floaties. There is no way on earth Jesus would want you to drown. He he knows you can't swim. Floaties haven't been invented yet. And you can't go out of this boat. But I don't think that means he doesn't love you. I think he's giving us an example of who he is. I think if we can see, you know, earlier he turned water to wine. He's showing us that he is the God who controls the elements. He calmed a storm. He's going to get here. He's going to calm the storm that we're in. He's showing us that he controls water. He controls this chaos. That he's a God who loves you, Peter. And because he loves you, because because he loves you and he gave you the ability to build this boat that floats on water, he would never ask you to commit suicide. He wants you to know something so much different deeper than the actual thing that's being said. You have to open your mind to the context of the Word of God. This is really good, John. Keep going, please. Just keep, please keep talking. I believe that God has put so many good qualities in you, Peter. I believe that he has called you. He's made you a craftsman. He has made you a fisherman. He's going to make you a fisher of men, and he wants you to live that life. He wants you to step into it, and so he wants you to acknowledge today before him in a humble state that you cannot walk on water, that he is the creator of the universe, that he is the God of love, that he is the one who controls the elements, that you do not control the elements, and so stay in the boat and worship the God who created the world, and then and go to people and tell them that God is the God of water. He is the God of the elements. He is the God who created the world. You are not God. You are called to worship God. That, John, will preach. Amen. Thank you. James, were you listening to that? I think Jesus just wants me to get out of the boat. Go get a degree or something. John, thank you so much for sharing that. That'll preach. In fact, that's the message I'm going to share once we get to shore. Fast forward. Scene two. Peter arrives at shore. I want to thank you, everyone, for coming to shore today. Shore Church. We're so grateful that you're here. 
And we want you to know that this is a place where all are welcome. And I have a story that I want to share with you that was very powerful in my heart that actually changed the trajectory of my life. You see, I had a direct encounter with Jesus. And Jesus called me to step out of a boat. He said, come. Wait, 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 wait. I don't... That's good, but it's not great. I think I need to do a better sermon intro. Let me think. Got it. It was a dark and stormy evening. We were in the boat, and we were afraid, but the boat was safe. And Jesus came to me, and he said, Peter! I am the God who walks on water, and you are a man, and I love you. And I would never ask you to step out and walk on water because you can't, because you need floaties. But what I would ask you to observe is the God of the universe walking on the waves and worship me for who I am as the God who will keep you safe in the boat and calm the storm, but never ask you to do anything that is impossible for you to do because I am God. And I love you too much to put you in danger. Can I get an amen? amen. No, I can't get an amen. Do you see the difference between experiencing the Word of God? And talking about the Word of God. The parable of the sower is about a seed that goes deep into the heart of the soil, that the soil wraps itself around this seed. And when it wraps itself around this seed, the seed establishes roots and then the roots go deep. And as the soil experiences this seed, it begins to bear fruit. This is why we created a grow tool and put lifestyle disciplines in the lobby. Because it is so much more than sitting in the ark, sitting in the boat, talking about the words of Jesus. Peter, I just felt like the music was not really good this week, and I felt like the sermon didn't really speak to my heart. And the nursery is pretty small, because the back of the boat is pretty small. Maybe I'll go look for a different boat. Here is what drives me crazy. I've been spending the past two weeks on John 3.16. Who knows John 3.16? It's the first verse many of us memorize as kids. It's simple. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have eternal life. I've been stuck on this verse I can't stop thinking about it. I think I memorized it when I was six years old. We have become a culture of people 
who no longer believe in Jesus. We believe about Jesus. The Bible does not say whoever believes about Jesus will have eternal life. And so we, we go from church to church and we ask, what do you believe about Jesus? I get emails regularly. What's your church's stance on homosexuality? What's your church's stance on women in leadership? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he's this? And my, I just want to scream, I don't believe about Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. That's not an abstract concept. It's not difficult. My wife, Anna, who was playing the keyboards, I don't believe about her. She could be dyeing her hair purple right now at a salon. I wouldn't know it. I don't need to believe about her. I need to believe in her. I want her to be successful in everything she does. I want her to take risks. I want her to know she's loved. I want her to know I care about her. I want her to know that I would die for her without a second thought. I believe in my son. I want him to know the same things. I want him to know that he's powerful beyond all measure because I believe in him, not about him. Xander, how, how was your day at school today? What color was your hair? Did you wear your glasses? What jeans did you wear? No. Tell me about your favorite part of the day, son. What did you feel when you got in trouble? How did you feel when the teacher told you you did a good job? I believe in you. And the Bible is very clear that we love because he first loved us. So we have been given this crazy opportunity to believe in Jesus because Jesus believes in us. And so Peter's standing in a boat. And Jesus says, come. And there's nothing in Peter's mind that is a belief about Jesus. Jesus is there. And if I'm headed towards him, I'm going to be okay. I believe in him. I don't know everything about him, and I'm going to disagree with people all the time about the things of Jesus, but I believe in him. I believe in who he is. I believe that he is going to take care of me. <coughs> Either you believe in Jesus or you believe about Jesus. We have adopted a church model, and I'm not talking about the river, I'm talking about Christians. Where because we cease to believe in Jesus and we need to believe about Jesus, we have created events. Where you come, you sit, you face forward, and I tell you about something so that you can believe about something. And we do more events and more events and more events as if, as if the Word of God says, that he who believes in him will have eternal events. Events do nothing more than cause you 
to work to make the venue better. The more events you do, the harder you have to work to make the venue better. We need a better boat. We need a bigger boat. We need higher walls. We need a better sound system. We need more comfy chairs. We need a better nursery. And I said this like two months ago. Nobody who has come to believe in Jesus yet, nobody who doesn't know Jesus yet, is ever asking you questions about your boat. They don't care. They want to know the guy who's walking on water because they're terrified. And we're saying, come to our event. We'll tell you about him. It doesn't work. It's a flawed system. It's a flawed structure. It is broken. But here's what's not broken. He who believes in Jesus will have eternal what? Life. You knew it. You knew the answer. You could fill in the blank. Believing about and having eternal events is different than believing in and having eternal life. And eternal life is not something that we step into so that someday when time ceases to exist, we get to fly. Eternal life is something that the God of the universe breathes inside of you. It's called pneuma, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And it's meant to be eternal, meaning that it's constantly coming in. It's constantly going out. It's flowing in and out and in and out in the same rhythm that you breathe. So that you can receive, and just as you have freely received, you can give to someone else so that their life can be impacted. Nobody wants to come to your event. The only people who want to come to your event are people who have been to other events and think those events aren't good enough. People who don't know the eternal life of God are searching for it. They will not find it at an event. They will find it in a life that is so different that it causes them to wonder, to exist in a state of wonder about a God who loves beyond comparison. I have a friend named Pat. He goes to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. He goes to the red light district. He takes a pocket full of cash. He goes up to the young, young, young girls who are being trafficked. And he says, can I buy an hour of your time? It's maybe a dollar. A U.S. dollar. They take his dollar... He goes into their room and he pulls the blanket curtain shut and he sits and he talks and he listens and he says, the life you're living can be different 
And he lets the pneuma of God, the breath of God, flow in and out and impact these girls. And once the conversation is over, he says this. Pack your bags. I'll be back at 8 a.m. to pick you up. I'm going to take you to a place where you are safe, where your education is free, and where your children who have been hiding under the bed this whole time will be taken care of for the rest of their lives. And we think that story is inspiring because we see a man who was driving down the road one day and saw a billboard that said, what would you do if you knew that you couldn't fail? And he stepped out of a boat. And he quit with the events. And he started to live a lifestyle that was different. I have another friend who decided that um, she wanted to do foster care. Because she read a little verse in the Bible that said, care for orphans. And she realized that she didn't need to pray about it to see if it was a calling, but that it was a principle in God's word, care for orphans. So she signed up for foster care. And then she got one too many kids. And her vehicle was not big enough to hold them all. Why would you sign up for foster care and accept too many kids that your vehicle's not big enough to hold them all? That's crazy. That doesn't make sense. Unless you've seen Jesus walking on the water. And so, within a matter of days, someone had loaned her a minivan. And she drove a minivan around for two weeks. And then without her even requesting, people started sending her cards in the mail, and those cards had money in them. $500 worth. And then another unexpected $1,000 came. And now she owns a station wagon. Jesus, who walks on water, would never call you into something that he's not going to take care of you. But he's not going to call you into something that you don't need him to provide for. He's not going to tell you to pad your boat and make it bigger. He's going to tell you to get out of it. I hope this doesn't feel like I'm scolding you. I knew I would step on some toes. My intention was to stomp on feet. I hope it doesn't feel like you're being scolded because I'm in the same place. God has put some things in your heart. He's planted them like seeds. He's planted them. Since you were born, Ephesians says before the creation of the world, he planned for you to do good stuff. And that stuff was really good. Like, yes, God planned for you to be nice and help an old lady cross the street. 
but I'm talking about he put some stuff inside of you that, that only God could think of, that your mind couldn't even comprehend, that the only way that you could comprehend the thing that God put inside of you is to compare it to a boat that you're sitting in and stepping out of it onto water, believing that you might drown, but trusting that there's a Jesus who will keep you up. He put some things inside of you that you have believed are not possible, that you have believed cost too much money, that you have believed take too much time, that you have believed you don't have the skill set for. He has put some things inside of you that seem impossible and scary and dangerous, and so you wait, and you wait, and you wait for that day when you have the resources to do the thing that God has called you to do, and he's never going to give you those resources until you take a step. God, I don't have any of the stuff I need to do this, but I'm going to step because you love people. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? It means simply this. If I'm going through something terrible, I want people to suffer with me. I want them to know that I'm suffering, and I want them to sit with me, and I want them to be with me. And there are children who are starving and dying right now and their stomachs are so bloated and they're blind because of malnutrition. And there are kids in this country who've, who've never been hugged. They've been hit. They've been locked in rooms. And there are people who sleep out in the cold in the snow in Kalamazoo, Michigan and get wet on accident and die. And God has put it in our hearts. He's planted it to do something about it. And he has promised unlimited resources if you take a step of faith. You don't have to listen to another inspiring story about Malala, the girl who won the Nobel Peace Prize. You can be that story. You can live that story. He's put it in you. But it's terrifying. It's scary. The moment Peter stood on the water, the word says that he saw the wind and became afraid. You can't see the wind. Peter, you can't see the wind. Peter believed something about the wind and became afraid. But he believed in Jesus. I desperately want to be radical. Not for the sake of being radical. We're all radical in coffee shops. Let's go to coffee and be radical with our words. Let's talk about how we're going to change the church and the world. And then there's this moment where we're supposed to step. We're supposed to step. God has put something in your heart. I don't know what it is, man. He has put something in your heart so deep and so rich that you are not content with your life. 
and it will stay there until the day you die. Or you will be amazed at the types of things that he does when you step out and experience the word. But something has to switch in your mind, this idea about events. This is about life. You didn't come to church today to meet Jesus. I'll tell you where Jesus is. He says it at the end of time that he's the hungry and he's the naked and he's the thirsty and he's the oppressed. And we're going to be like, we didn't see you. That's because you were in this big box singing songs and you called that me. I was out there the whole time. I was outside of the boat. And I know it seemed like the waves were really high and really scary and like you didn't have the right equipment, but I was ready to bless you with everything that you needed if you would just simply risk. I want to tell you one more story before we end about a man named Craig and a woman named Diane who met in a rehabilitation facility. Craig had been, they're friends of mine, Craig had been in Vietnam and had done every drug that you could imagine and he overdosed on LSD and he almost died and so he thought maybe I should check myself into rehab. Diane had been an alcoholic blacking out since the age of 12, drinking hard liquor just to escape the reality of having to eat dog food for her meals. And so when she was 18, she checked herself into rehab instead of walking out into traffic to end it all. And they met and they decided that they would live together in a little town of 300 people. And they, they moved into this little tiny house across the street. And Diane was trying to raise two daughters as she was 19 years old. And one of them was 13 and the other one was 8. And they didn't really know how to get through life and to live in a home that had so much baggage that violence was easy, hurt was easy, wounds were easy. It was like two people with all the baggage in the world had come together expecting the other person to carry their baggage, but they realized that the other person had too much baggage, and so they were simply trying to exist. But they happened to move across the street from a little tiny church, and there was this pastor and he would come across the street once a week and he would bring his Bible and he would just love these guys. And Craig would argue with him about the Bible every single week and how Jesus wasn't real. He was like a unicorn. And the pastor kept coming every week amidst this town of 300 who thought he was crazy to be going into the home of tax collectors and sinners. And then one day, 
after a heated argument. He got up to walk out of the house, and the Holy Spirit stopped him, and he turned around to Craig, and he said, you know you could spit in Jesus' face, and he would still love you. And then he left. And Craig and Diane got down on their knees in the living room of their little tiny house, and they gave their lives to Jesus. And that pastor didn't know they gave their lives to Jesus until later. And two years later, I was born. Two years later, I was born. Because somebody stepped out of a boat and he was scared because these people were crazy. And he said, God, you've got to do it. And do you know what happened? He walked on water. God has put some things in your heart from the day that you were thought of to exist. And they're going to be there forever. And Xanax is not going to take them away. And there's nothing you can do to justify how volunteering in the nursery is fulfilling that calling. There's no event that you can go to that's going to give you eternal life. He has it for you. He's ready for you and the world needs it. Romans says creation has been waiting as if they're giving birth in the pains of childbirth for the sons of God to be revealed. And we're sitting in here talking about how the music's too loud. Talking about how the sermon wasn't good enough. And God has put something in your heart that is going to change the world. I'm talking big. I'm not talking little. I'm talking huge. I'm talking about suffering and sacrificing yourself. Being willing to be hung on a cross so that somebody else would live. That is faith. Your challenge this week is to get out of the boat. Please. The world needs it. The world needs it. So much. Let me pray for you. Father, we confess that we have been people who have classified you as a God we are supposed to know about and an event we are supposed to attend. All the while, you have promised us eternal life, an eternal lifestyle, an eternity flowing in and out of our lifestyle. I pray that you take the seeds 
of hope that you've planted in us for other people, and you make them shoot out of our eyes and our chests and our fingertips and our creativity so that the world will be a different place. I, I confess that we have talked more about changing the world than we have actually done to change the world. And I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your peace. And I ask that we be people who step out of the boat. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.